How's that for a start? You know, I woke up this morning, you know what I needed? A little bit of church. You know, you ever get up and you just say, today I need a little bit of church, which is, uh, you are the church, we are the church. Anybody who believes into Jesus and lives in his kingdom is part of the ecclesia, the called out people, you're part of his church. But sometimes you just need a little church. You need a little bit of a gathering, you need a little bit of a boost. Uh, It gets a little bit long. You know, September hits, as we know, September hits, and what happens? Fall's here. Fall is not here. It is a head fake. It is a end around. It's a, I use any metaphor, sports analogy that you want, but it's a head fake. September is uh, often humid and uh, often a little bit sticky, and uh, you may be watching this, and we air this a little bit later, but you'll remember back to September. So we need a little bit of church. So you mind if I open in prayer so we can introduce this day. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege, the absolute privilege of serving you, the privilege of knowing you. Lord, I pray that anybody that be listening today that does not know you would be persuaded in their spirit that you not only exist, but that you are in fact the king, the long-awaited king. We thank you for that. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit, which you purchased, the promise to Abraham, according to Galatians. The promise to Abraham that you purchased with your blood, the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit. So we, we, we give this day to you, Lord Jesus. We, we want to honor you with it. We want to try to reflect your words, eat your flesh and drink your blood, not only in communion, but also through the digestion of the word. Lord, let us take it in. Let it forever impact the way we live life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, we're going to proceed forward here in Luke chapter 13. We started a number of weeks back with the six facets, six facets, not the six facets, six facets of Jesus' ministry. We've seen Jesus as compassionate Savior. We've seen Jesus as as one that's ferocious as a lion in a sense, and that he confronts bad religion. We looked a lot at bad religion. We know that all good things come down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Bad religion is a lot of shifting shadows, and it does not come down from the Father of lights. Bad religion is anything that does not put Jesus as the preeminent king on his throne, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You say, Jeff, that's awfully narrow. Jesus is going to talk about that this morning. It's narrow. It's a very narrow door. It's offensive to many. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is supposed to be offensive. Why do I say it's supposed to be offensive? All the prophets sought there was going to be a cornerstone, and people were going to be tripping over this cornerstone. They were going to be, they were going to struggle to hear it. Paul's going to go as far as to say, to many who are perishing, it's, uh, well, it's a stench of death, and it's foolishness, and it's absurd, and maybe you think of it that way, but maybe you're not, maybe you've never really filtered through and walked through the actual words of Jesus. That's been my experience with meeting people in the street. They reject Christianity, evangelicalism, whatever they want to call it, the far right. They think of it politically. They think of it in many different ways. But are you rejecting that or are you rejecting Jesus? I I challenge you this morning, maybe for the first time, to listen to the words of Jesus. Many of you, obviously, that does not apply to, but let's, let's move forward. So, Luke chapter 13, we're going to move on to these interesting parables of both mustard seed and leaven, and then on into this narrow door concept. So we're going to be looking at two more facets of Jesus' ministry today. 
Number one, he was relentless on his examination, exploration, and unpacking of the kingdom of God. Relentless. And secondly, he talked about, but it's very narrow to enter that kingdom. It's not a wide, open pathway. It's a narrow door that leads to life. And again, Jesus' words this morning, not my words, his words. Verse 18, so Jesus was saying, well, what is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God like? Now, before I go on, many Jews could have easily said in that day, we know exactly what the kingdom of God is like. It's going to look something like when, well, when we had King David on the throne or King Solomon, our glory days, it's going to be a return to the glory days. And in fact, the whole, all the nations are going to stream to us and we're going to see a king that's going to finally bring peace at least to our nation, and, well, some of the prophets even were seeing that it was going to bring peace to all the nations. We know exactly what the kingdom looks like, but Jesus is going to introduce something that we're going to call the mystery kingdom this morning. It's not what they had expected, and he is relentless. He is untiring in his desire to unpack it for his followers. This is what the kingdom of God's like, and to what shall I compare it? Well, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now, before we go forward, I want to flip you back to where is Jesus drawing this language? He's drawing it from the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 17, if you have your Bible this morning. I just want to read, I'm not going to get into the fullness of unpacking this. I just want to read verses 22, 23, and 24. It says, thus the Lord, thus says the Lord, I shall also take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar, set it out. I will pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. What have we already seen about Jesus? Compassionate, tender. He says, and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. Was he planted? Planted, that's interesting, like a seed. Planted on a high and lofty mountain, he was. On the high mountain, remember this is hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. On the high mountain of Israel I shall plant it and that it, that it will bring forth bows and bear fruit and become a stately cedar and birds of every kind will nest under it and they will nest in the shade of its branches. And he goes on and I won't read verse 23. So, Jesus is really drawing from this language of, well, the prophets were seeing something. Something's happening. There's a tender little twig. It's planted on the top of a mountain, and somehow it's going to bring forth all kinds of amazing things and fruit and, and vegetation and all that, and then even the birds of the air will come and nest in the branches. And now Jesus says, it's like a mustard seed. Now, I, I need to say before we press on here, this is shocking to many of his listeners. The kingdom of God, as they had perceived it through their own prophets, was not a little tiny seed that was just kind of, kind of, it was going to be something dramatic and overwhelming. The Romans were going to have to bow the knee to this new king or whoever it was, whoever their overlords were at that time. That's the way they read the prophets. And now he's talking about some little obscure mustard seed. Mustard seed is so tiny, if you've ever seen one, it is tiny, tiny, tiny. It looks like a tick or smaller. And, and it grows into all this. How can all that come from that? And that's what Jesus says. It's going to start in this, well, not very observable way. It's going to be very, it's going to be very, going to be very small. 
Now, his disciples would look back on this, and I'm sure as they would maybe huddle around the camp after, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, I'm sure they thought at various points, what impact possibly could we have? And that's what I'm going to challenge you with this morning. Many of you will say, I'm, I'm kind of like a mustard seed. What possible impact could I have where I live on my block and my family? I, I, just, I just don't see the potential. I can't, I'm not, I don't get up in front of people. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't, uh, you can just go down a long list. Well, the mustard seed could probably say that too. What, who am I to think that I'm just this little tiny, this little tiny tick-like thing and I'm going to grow into something that's the bird that, well, the birds of the air are going to come and nest in the branches and shade themselves and find a home and it's going to be fruitful and all this. Who am I to think that I'm sure the disciples felt that, that they were going to in some way impact the world, but Jesus told them they were going to impact the world. Verse 20 says, And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. In other words, this little bit of leaven had an, had an ability, and I'm going to use the word of that original song we sang this morning, to change the atmosphere if you will, in a spiritual sense. Now, in this metaphor here, this analogy that he's using, it's just uh, it's some, well, it's, a, it's leaven and a, some bread, right? So it took a little flour and took a little leaven, and I don't really understand all that. My daughter, Tess, could probably tell you a lot more about that. She's, a, she's an expert baker, but I don't really understand how all that works. But, well, the kingdom is a little bit like that as well. Jesus is saying that. It's permeation. It just it seeks in and it begins to change things in ways that you could not possibly have understood, not only in your own personal life, but in the grand scheme of the, the world scene. It can actually change the atmosphere of a city, of a nation, uh, even of the world. Now, he goes on to say in verse 22, and he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? I mean, how narrow is this thing? I mean, are there just, I mean, we're only, we're looking around, there's 12 of us, and, and, they, and one of those wouldn't even make it. And, there, and we've got a few other disciples, and I mean, there were 70 that you sent out. And we had a lot of people that were hanging around listening to your teaching, but we're not so sure. How many of those really came into the kingdom? I mean, we seem to be kind of it. I mean, are we a little cult here? What is going on here, Jesus? How many people are being saved? How many people? This is the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, well, the whole world. I'm dying for the whole world. The whole world's going to be saved, which is, which is, by the way, part of bad religion. The whole world isn't saved. And I'm going to explain more why that's the case. He came to die for the world, but much of the world will, will choose to go their own way. And they might even do it, as we saw last week, in a religious way, but they're not going to choose a rel the relational integrity that Jesus purchased on the cross that they can now have with the living God. And he said, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, Jesus is not mincing words here, many, how many? I don't know. I mean, how many, what was the world population during the time of Jesus? I really don't know that. Siri, the world population of, during the time of Jesus. I don't know what the world population is, but it's a lot now. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able this is Jesus speaking. This is not some mean-spirited, backwoods preacher with slick back hair and big nugget gold rings asking you for their money on some TV program. No. This is Jesus himself. Listen to what he says. He says, seek to enter by the... 
and they will not be able once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, they're not afraid to call him Lord, open up to us and he will answer and say, I do not know from where you are from. And then he will begin to say, we ate, they will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. It was, you know, we, we were kind of part of the deal. We went to church, we showed up at the theater, we did this, we did that. And he'll say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. By the way, that's just apocalyptic language. Jesus uses that a lot. It's a picture of those that are being thrown out of the city into this valley where there was always dead corpses. We've talked about that and, and the trash that was thrown outside the city. It's apocalyptic language. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but, but yourselves being thrown out, and they will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. Now, I think, again, I think he's alluding to coming from all over the place. In other words, this is not just going to be about Israel. It's not just going to be about we Jews. Jesus is now thinking beyond. He is looking into the future. He knows the prophets. He, he inspired the prophets, right? Jesus didn't come in a manger. Jesus is, etern- is the eternal one. And so he has known from all of eternity that this was a global mission, and he sees all people coming from the north and the south and the east and the west. And, and again, back to Ezekiel 17, Somehow there's going to be a kingdom and they're going to come and it's going to provide fruitfulness and it's going to, it's going to get us out of the hellish world that we live in in, in an eternal sense, in a, in a forever sense, but also now. And this is the mystery that he begins to talk about is that now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus coming back out of the wilderness after the temptation. What does he say? What does he begin to preach? What does he begin to teach? Well, he has moral teaching. He has teaching about himself that they wouldn't really fully understand until the resurrection occurs and his death, burial, and resurrection, I should say. But now what is he saying? From that time after his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus began to preach and say, repent. That's important. Change your mind on this thing. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you, some of you will remember during the pandemic when I was, uh, we were meeting online for a pretty extended period of time, I used these two little hoops. I first saw this on the Bible Project. Tim Mackey did a great job of really expressing, and, and uh, I wanted to elaborate on that a little bit more, so I had Tess. I said, put together something, a black hoop, which this is going to represent fallen world, the world gone to hell the hellish part of the world that we live in. There's nobody in here or in the hearing of my voice that can say there aren't a lot of hellish parts of the world that we live in. And it's not just child molestation, sex trafficking, and things like that. In fact, the problem is I see much of it in my own heart, pride and self-concern and, and, and just all the, well, just all the junk that goes on in this world. In fact, a lot of people, because this is all they see, they say, I don't believe in God because this is all I See, and then there's well, there's this, and this this little green because we just looked at it, right? It's going to be flourishing and fruitful and all this. This little green with a few flowers on it. This is going to represent. This is going to represent the kingdom of God. Now, in the beginning, if you'll remember, in the beginning, God created what the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest to you that I, I believe that these two were pretty nicely overlapped. God was communing with Adam and Eve in the garden. This is Edenic, right? This is beautiful. And this is going to be the, the, the world, but not yet fallen. And these two were overlapped. And then what happened at the fall is that these two, these two were separated. Now you have the heavens and you have the, well, you have the hellishness of the earth. And what, what does Jesus mean when he says, now the kingdom of heaven is at hand? I think what Jesus is saying is that these two in me are beginning to get closer and closer, and they're about to overlap, and they're about to go this, and then all of a sudden you're going to have these two worlds that are going to overlap. And if you don't understand this and its basic concept, you're going to have a hard time understanding leaven and what that means, and you're going to misapply it. Hard time understanding how something can start so small. See, when this first hits, it starts so small. In fact, there's your mustard seed. They're barely even touching. But don't worry, Jesus says, because the kingdom of heaven is like this. Because of the activity of the Spirit in the souls of men, and I know you won't understand that right now, Jesus would tell his disciples, but at some point, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to purchase for you this gift promised to Abraham, and this gift is going to come live on the inside of you, and you, as representatives, ambassadors of the kingdom, are going to begin to come in, and it's going to grow and grow and grow. Will it ever completely overlap? Well, this is what the prophets originally had seen. They had just seen the re-overlapping, in their view, of these two kingdoms. The kingdom is going to win, the king's going to win, and that's the, well, that's what the prophets see. But now Jesus is talking about a mystery kingdom, and he's having to describe it in great detail, mustard seed and leavens and tares and wheat and a treasure in a field and pearls of great price and dragnets and all kinds of weird, strange parables. What's he trying to do? He's trying to say, look, here's what's happening, the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. They've been separate, and now they're about to come together. In this hellish world, the hell is about to be cast out of the world. Satan is going to begin to lose the dominion that he now currently possesses. He is the God, little g, God of this realm, and yet the kingdom is coming upon us. I was watching something this last week. And uh, I'm fascinated with it. I don't know why. I guess a lot of people are because it seems to be on the History Channel all the time, and that is Hitler. There's something about Hitler. There's something about the Holocaust. There's something about that time, World War II. I mean, we're just now losing the very last remnants of our World War II generation. Uh, what a valiant generation, many of those men and women who went over and fought uh, in that war and from... Norman, you know, I mean, just look at the whole thing. You just D-Day and all that, and you just think, wow, what? And uh, my father-in-law's here, and he, he's fought in Vietnam, so this is, I'm not putting that up and, up and against. It was just, just a valiant generation that lived there, and everybody was pretty much on the same page. Here we clearly have an evil, and we clearly have something that, well, it's not, it's not that it's good. I mean, Russia was an ally, but you kind of come together and you see this seems to be a real battle between true good and evil. And when I think about Hitler and the establishment of his kingdom, what did Hitler, one thing Hitler did is he was trying to model, well, what we see in the Old Testament. It was going to be a very visible kingdom. In fact, he had plans, if you 
if you watch any of these things, he had plans for this incredible new world order, and it was going to be, for him, the final piece, the final solution, he said, in some ways. And that was going to be the, it was going to include genocide, it was going to include the, the warp thinking about some perfect humanity, it was going to be about, mostly it was going to be about grandeur, and the things that he was going to build were just unbelievable. The, it, some of his plans, he had this particular architect, and they had devised plans for these massive, overwhelming places of tribute, primarily to himself and the Third Reich, and and just one nation was going to fall, a nation was going to fall, but they were going to come in and they were going to establish order, and they were going to establish this just, they were going to usher in this grand peace. Now, is that visible or invisible? Well, that's very visible. And then Jesus, obviously, in Matthew 13, verse 52, Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things old and new and old. Now, what is Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying there's the old view, uh, the kind of the, the view that everything's going to be very visible and obvious and, and dominant and just overwhelming power. Well, the prophets saw that. But now there's going to be something new. And there's going to be disciples who are going to come along and they're going to, well, they're going to understand both are true. But there's not a simultaneity to the two. There's going to be first this, well, there's going to be first this little mustard seed. It's not going to be overwhelming power. Why? Because if Jesus had come in overwhelming power, who could have been in his kingdom? Not me. He's thinking about you and me in the 21st century. Right here in California, Southern California, can you imagine? Jesus was thinking of us, not overwhelming power, slow permeation, little by little, moment by moment, through the ambassadors of his kingdom, through the Spirit. He was going to do transformation slowly. Things were going to be planted, things that not only in our own soul, and we were going to be transformed into his image over long periods of time. I am a different man than I was five years ago, but I'm not the man I want to be. I still have so much, well, I'm, I still have too much hell in me. It's true. I mean, Jesus sees me as his son, by the way. I am cleared. I am co- my, I'm covered in his blood. But the reality is my heart still has dark areas of it, and I don't like what I see. So your pastor is in process. I have not arrived. I still have all kinds of, angers of, of anger and selfishness and, and all kinds of vanity and everything else that still resides in this human heart, but little by little. So this happens not only in a city where the atmosphere can be changed or a church, but it happens in me. So think of this as my body, and this is the kingdom, and it invaded. And in that moment, Jesus saw me only as that, but eventually he knows that day by day, moment by moment, through the empowering of the Spirit and sanctification over long periods of time, hell is being cast out of me and you if you're on this journey. That's why being a disciple is a forever thing. I never quit being a disciple. I never just stop and go, okay, I'm saved, and I can go back to my life. I It's an ongoing strategy in my own mind to not be the man that I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I tell my kids all the time, you wouldn't even have recognized your mother and me 25 years ago before Savannah was born. She's now 24, 20. You wouldn't even even know your parents. And 35 years ago? You couldn't have picked us out in a lineup. But I hope 
that my grandson, Emerson, will look back and go, ha, I got a new Opie now. He's not the same Opie I remember when I was, right? He's still changing. That's an ever-changing ever process. Jesus was very clear in Luke 17. He says, the kingdom will not come with signs to be observed. This, this right here is not observable, well, to many in the masses. They don't realize it. They don't see it. It takes spiritual eyes. When Jesus said they were blind, they didn't, enter, they didn't see that these two worlds had overlapped. And now right in between, that, that little in-between part, that is the kingdom of God. And who enters there? Well, it's difficult to enter there. Now, Jesus used all kinds of parables, and I'm not going to go into the fullness of them. I just want to give you a little bit of a taste. Matthew 13, for me, if you're a Bible writer, this is my launch point. My friend Dan Wheeler's out there, and he always, sometimes he'll call me and say, what's your launch point on this idea or this? So when I think about parables of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God can be compared to. Well, anytime I think of that, I think of parabolic teaching, something that is going to come alongside an unseen reality and shed light on it so that I can live into the reality that Jesus wants me to live into. So you ready? This is just a few, Matthew chapter 13. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to talk about them. Many of you will know them well. Kingdom of heaven may, well, it's like a man who went out to sow. And he started throwing seed. I've taught on this oftentimes because as Mark describes here, well, in the gospel of Mark, it's described, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to stand any of the, understand any of the parables? In Matthew 13 and Matthews 12 and 11, people were, they were just not understanding who Jesus was. They were responding to him in, to him in very different ways. And he said, look, disciples, let me explain this to you. Describe this little parable to the masses and then he came back and tried to describe it in more detail to his disciples. And we got that inside detail in Matthew chapter 13. So he went out sowing seed, 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 seed. So you have to understand, how does this kingdom begin to invade and permeate this hellish kingdom that we see all around us? How does that happen? Remember this. If you, if you get, take nothing away from this morning, take away this. It happens because of seed. Seeds being thrown. You know, it took a lot of the pressure off of me years ago. A lot of the pressure. I, you know, I don't know how to lead people to Jesus. I, you know, this is too complicated. And, and Jesus just, I just started reading the parables. And it was just like, just throw seed, throw seed, throw seed, throw seed, throw seed. What is the seed? Well, Jesus told us the seed is the word. And you just throw seed. Yeah, you're going to throw some seed and it's going to land on the road and Satan's going to come in and take it right away. Maybe you've had a friend or if somebody even in your own family, you talk a little bit about Jesus, you may even quote a verse and they walk away and they, there's nothing even remotely penetrated, not even a tiny bit was a, well, it was a road. It was, their hearts are roadways. Some fell among the thorns. Immediately they embraced it. Right? Some fell among the rocks. Immediately there was embracing. And then in various points, they, but here's the problem. Some, it just kind of took a little root, but then the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, persecution, other things came in and just, just took it out. I, I wish I could say I'd never seen that in anybody. I see it all the time. They come to something, they get excited about something and the persecution, they're not embraced by the friends like they were. It's a little bit odd. 
Satan comes in, starts talking in their ear on one thing, you can't trust those people, blah, 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 whatever it is, and then eventually it just it just kind of goes away. The kingdom of God is like that. It's seed throwing. It's seed throwing, and it's always going to land on different kinds of soil. Kingdom of heaven's like a mustard seed. Man, this thing can start small. Kingdom of heaven's like leaven, it, but eventually it permeates. It can, it can permeate your entire family. That's very hopeful to me. It can permeate my whole family. My whole family can be impacted by the kingdom. Any, any kind of unit that you're in, if you just keep throwing seed, it can permeate. It's like leaven. You don't completely understand. No, it's not a Hitler kind of overwhelming power strike where they roll in with bigger artillery and, you know, and all these grand, overwhelming force. Seems like that's what the prophets had seen. Oh, there will be overwhelming force. Jesus will come back, but that's not the, that's not the time and the place we're in right now. We're in the slow permeation of the kingdom into and to cast out hell in the world. It will never be fully this until Jesus comes back. And then, may I tell you, it will be overwhelming. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. It won't be Jesus in a manger. It'll be Jesus, and I don't think this is literal, but Jesus on a white horse, a picture of mighty, conquering king where a sword is proceeding out of his mouth. I don't think there's going to be a literal sword coming out of mouth, but his words will slay the world and the overwhelming reality that there is an intelligent mind, that he was revealed in his son Jesus, and that Jesus' simple teaching of the kingdom is permeating the world right under the noses of those who are most hostile to the message. It's like a treasure in a field. And like a pearl of great price. The two things that I find interesting about this is one of the guys just finds a treasure in a field. Didn't even say he was looking for it. A little bit like sheep. Did you know that sheep never, at least what I've read, sheep never really look up? They're never really looking up. They're always looking down. They're looking for the grass, and that's why they're just following the sheep that's in front of them. And they're just kind of, you know, not very smart animals from what I've read, and they just kind of fall. And then right here, and they're just kind of on his, on his what's a nice word for butt? Uh, Hebrew word or something, I don't know. But anyway, right on the, on the tail, 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 there we go. Sorry, strike that. Right on the tail of the next one, and then he, he goes off a cliff. The next guy, he, he goes off a cliff. They say that, obviously, they're, Jesus used this, and we'll, well, we're going to close with that this morning, John chapter 10, but Jesus used this kind of language all the time. You're sheep. Well, that, that's not, I mean, tell me I'm a lion. Give me some encouragement, a peacock. At least I'm beautiful or something. How much you, you're sheep. They're not looking up. This, this merchant or no, this man who went into the field didn't say he was looking for anything. He just found something. Like sheep, just, just oh, there's some grass. Oh, yeah, there we go, there we go. And, but the response is beautiful because that guy goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. Why? Because he wants that treasure. See, one thing about the kingdom is that you come in because you have such an overwhelming passion for it, you can do nothing else. If you can do like 10 things and the kingdom's one of them, you need to reread Jesus. It's so overwhelming. It's so narrow and all-encompassing. It's narrow but all-encompassing. You ha we have to get that in our heads 
that Jesus did not give us this, this wide path of a moral teacher, try the best you can, be the best person you can, and then it'll all shake out in the end and everybody's basically good. That is not the message of Jesus. That is bad religion. Sounds good. It's poisonous, according to the Lord. And then there's the merchant who was seeking fine pearls. Now, the second little parable, there are some who are seeking. There are some who, I, I would analogize this to this, analogize this to this, that there are some who are out there looking for truth. They really are. I mean, they're open to truth. They're looking for the pearl of great price. They really are. And they're looking, but they're looking many times in the wrong places. But at least they are looking. Are you looking this morning? Are you aggressively searching for? And he found it. And he went and sold everything he had so he could buy that pearl. Now, pearls for us are not the most lavish thing in the world. I don't know a whole lot about jewelry, but... Uh, back then, they really were. During the time of the Romans, certainly during the time Jesus was talking about, the pearl was the most exalted kind of thing. That's why you see that replete throughout Scripture. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say that is the most important by far? I'm willing to kind of just, everything else becomes secondary compared to, this is what Jesus said, this is how the king, this is how you enter the kingdom because you're just like, I'm, I'm forsaking all that other. I, this is it. This is it for me. I'm defined by this. I, don't have, I, I, I relegate all the, my past life to the dumpster bin, and I'm, 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 I'm like, Jesus, take me. I don't know why you'd want me, but take me and give me your thoughts about everything. And, and the rest of my life, because I'm a disciple, I'm trying to transfer the way I think about all of reality into his reality. And people are all often in different modes of that. Some people are like, all right, I got, these are mostly my ideas. And then I've learned a little bit about what Jesus said. No, what I'm doing as a disciple is I'm adopting all the ideas of Jesus because he's my creator. That's very different than I'm doing the best I can to follow a moral teacher. That is radically, two radically different things. So you can see why one's really bad religion, because fundamentally it doesn't understand who Jesus is, the king of the cosmos. It's powerful. And then in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares. And look, you need to let them grow up together because, in fact, the tares that he was talking about looked almost exactly like wheat in their early stages. What he's saying is you don't become the judge. So he's warning his disciples is that you don't start uprooting and doing all these other kinds of things. Has that ever worked historically for the church to uproot all these other, what we perceive to be the tares? So we come in here and say, all right, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. It's time to eradicate now. This is full of terrors. Why? Because Jesus said the enemy had planted them, and this is the enemy's domain. Who's done this? And he asks, and the enemy's done this. And so, so we've got to uproot these terrors, and that's how the kingdom grows. We uproot them, and then we throw them in, and somewhere down here is the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, and we are the final. And Jesus is just saying, you, I don't trust you at all to do that. That's for me to do at the end, and that's where we finish in Matthew 13 with the dragnet, and that at the end of the age, Jesus comes back, and he gathers all the fish together, and he throws the good ones, he puts the good ones, and he, and he takes them in, and he takes the bad ones and throws them out. Now, that's, that's for Jesus to do. That's not for me to do. Thank God I do not have the task of determining who are the wheat and who are the tares. 
I can have some insight because of someone's fruitfulness and their confession and the way they live their life. It's not that I have no idea at all, but I am not the ultimate arbiter of, well, what's wheat and what's tares. I'm not. Jesus is. His task. Had the church only listened to that over the last 2,000 years, we could have saved ourselves a lot of agony and a lot of other people's agony in us trying to determine. You just let them grow together, and at the end of the age, at the end of the age, and, and then he gives again, as I said, the dragnet. The dragnet goes through, picks everybody up, and then some are cast out, weeping the gnashing of teeth, apocalyptic, nation, apocalyptic language. Again, what are we getting here? We're getting, well, there's a mystery kingdom that Jesus is initiating, and then there's, well, there's clearly the Bible. It wasn't like the prophets got it wrong. There is going to be an overwhelming kingdom that's going to be established one day. How's that going to happen? Conquer, overwhelming, force, kill everybody, or a different kind. I think I'll die for you. I think I'll lay down my life for you. And then you can go out and in an underwhelming way. I don't know how to describe it other than that. What Jesus is really saying, this is this, this is underwhelming. It's overwhelming once you enter. You may be watching and you may be saying, you know, I don't know, Christianity and all that. It's overwhelming, but not in a good way. And I think it's pretty unimpressive. And I don't see anything there. May I, may I twist your thinking on this and say maybe it's because Jesus has chosen not to come back yet in an overwhelming way. He wants to do it in a gracious way that, that protects the dignity of who you were created to be. You were created in the image of God, and he doesn't want to violate your own ability to choose. He wants to do it through what? Faith and repentance. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you believe that? That's faith. And then what's your response to get in? Well, that's the last part we're going to look at this morning, and that is the narrow door. What is the narrow door? Why is it narrow? Because if you go back to our picture here, oh, man, are there all kinds of doors to enter here. There are every kind of happiness door to enter here, and what does it always, always end up? overstated. It's not as impressive. A lot of it leads to death. And here we have it. See, you get here, and maybe the kingdom's this, or maybe it's this, or what will it be before Jesus comes back? He asks the question rhetorically, will I come back and found, find faith on the earth? Is it going to go here? And then in the generations part of my coming back, is it going to start to seem to, to recede some? I mean, I don't what is this going to look like? I will just tell you, to enter that door, to enter that door is quite narrow. And I want to conclude. I, I was going to go in some different directions this morning, but I'm going to conclude. I'm going to conclude. Uh, we know with Matthew 19, I'm not going to read it all. The rich young ruler seemed pretty narrow. What good things should I do? And Jesus' response is, sell all your possessions and come. You'll have treasure in heaven. He's trying to help the man understand that this is an all-encompassing decision. You've categorized this as an aspect of who you are, a good guy and part of your life, but you have to cede all title and deed to the king, complete and utter, well, bowing the knee to this king. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate because he wants the rich young ruler to have life and life more abundantly. 
He also said in Luke 14, you cannot be my disciple unless you, get, unless you give up all of your own possessions. What does that even mean? That Greek word is to say adieu by departing and dismissing from your old way of life. That's repentance. You turn around and go the other way. I'm just not there anymore. I was there. I was really into all that. And now I'm just not there anymore. I'm going in this direction. And in going in this direction, it seems sometimes really small, not so impressive. And I turn around and I look and I go, now that, that's impressive. I mean, look at the wealth and the grandeur. I can see it all. And then I go here and am I really going in the direction where I really can't? It's like, a there it is. It's a mustard seed. Well, no, it's gone. I, I dropped it. I, where, where is it? It's an unseen realm. I mean, don't tell me that you haven't had these thoughts at various points. I left everything for this, and it doesn't seem so overwhelming. Jesus? But if you keep walking, what you'll see is the overwhelming nature is happening. The overwhelming kingdom is coming in your own heart, and you're changing and you're falling in love with a group of people called the church that become your eternal friends, forever friends, that you don't have to say adieu to. See, the reason he wants you to say adieu to that is because he wants you to say hello to these folks who, whom you never have to say adieu to anymore. Make friends for yourself while you're on earth, knowing that one day you'll be invited into eternal dwellings. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This was kind of a late ad this morning as I was thinking this through. I'm skipping a few things, but sometimes that's what I'm supposed to do because ostensibly we are being led by the Spirit, are we not? And hopefully your pastor is being led by the Spirit. That's the new covenant. So in closing, verse... 7 of John chapter 10. Now we're talking about the door and how narrow it is and all these other kinds of things. And remember what we learned about sheep. By the way, they don't run from predators. They don't break up and scatter like most animals will do. They all just kind of huddle together and they just, it's very easy. It's very easy. If you can get, if you get a predator in, they're very easily overtaken. They are in desperate need of a shepherd. Oh, do they need a shepherd? And they need a pen. They need a protective pen. And they need that shepherd to guard that little door. Otherwise, well, bad things happen. Jesus, in verse 7, therefore said to them again, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus already told us in Luke 13 that the door is narrow, and now he's saying he's the door. So it's only through Je what Jesus is saying. It's me. I'm the shepherd. I'm the creator, and I'm the one who also will lay down his life for you. I'm going to guide you beside still waters. Why still waters? Because they say sheep cannot fall into moving water. They will drown instantly. That's why they, you never take sheep. They have to go to lakes, standing still water, otherwise, if they, because they can tip in and somehow get out. But if the water's moving, it doesn't even have to move, move violently. If they get in any kind of moving water... Say adieu to the sheep. Verse 8, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. That's pretty narrow. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. I'm the door. These are Jesus' words, folks. This is Jesus. I am the door. 
If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. How many are being saved, the question was. Seek to enter by the narrow door. Now, he didn't tell them in Luke 13 that he's the door, but in John 10, I'm the door. Seek to enter through me is what he's saying. And they shall go in and out and find pasture, even though they're always looking down and they're stuck right on the tail of the next one and all that and all their, all the mess that sheep are. Sheep. <laughs> really? All right, I'm a sheep. But my own experience says, mm, it's pretty much true in my own experience. I'm much more of a sheep. I want to be a lion. I want to be courageous, but often not so much. And he goes on in verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal steal, and to kill and to destroy. If you don't think that this fallen, black, hellish world exists, I don't know, what, I don't know how you get up and go, well, it's just environment, not free will. I mean, I, see, this again, this Bible makes sense of the world to me. And there is someone, some force out there that, apparently seeks to kill and steal and destroy. I watch it in, I've watched it in my own life, and I've watched it in the lives of countless thousands of others. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling, well, he's not a shepherd. Who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling. He's not concerned about the sheep. Bad religion. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. Now, this to me makes sense. These are this, that birds of Ezekiel. Well, not all commentators agree with this, but I really am passionate about this. We see the birds as being kind of the beasts of the field, and the birds oftentimes were bad. Not always. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about that the Lord feeds the birds as well, but they're not always. But most often, the birds are considered kind of malevolent characters or animals in the, in the whole biblical narrative. Well, we are. Gentiles were. We worship the rocks and the, the trees and everything else, or we worship false deities and everything else. He says, but I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. But I'm going to take it up again. No one has taken it away from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up. This commandment I have received from my Father. Jesus said, the only way this works, by the way, the only way this kingdom ultimately can really invade this kingdom is that the power and dominion that this little G God has over here, Satan, the God of this world, ha he has to be dethroned. And the way that's going to happen is through the, the blood of an unblemished lamb. And we're about to celebrate communion. The blood of that lamb allowed this kingdom to invade. Otherwise, nobody in here could ever be covered by the blood because there would be no blood of an unblemished lamb. And finally it was, and it started little tiny, little tiny, 12 uh, miscreants and uh, some women as well, and then it grew and grew and grew. And, well, as McDonald says, billions have been served now. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is among us. So next week we'll finish with two other facets of Jesus' life. And... Uh, 
and then we'll conclude Luke chapter 13. Is this helping you? May I ask just a quick question? Is this helping you? Isn't it great just to go through the teachings of Jesus and not just line by line? Don't you want to understand what he was talking about? Isn't, it, isn't that vital? Does it help you in your walk? It helps me in my walk. So thank you. I want to thank you for allowing me to participate in a little church this morning. It's been good. Now let's have a little communion.